As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Copa with Felipe Cardenas. I am your host, and I'm joined once again by my colleague at The Athletic, Pablo Maurer. We, well, actually, I'm still in Fort Lauderdale. Pablo is in D.C., but we've spent plenty of time here. As you know, if you've been listening and tracking our multiple reports, we've spoken to several teams out here, FC Cincinnati, D.C. United, and spent a lot of time with Inter-Miami over the weekend. Uh, today, we are releasing our the audio version of our interview, our Q&A with Phil Neville, head coach of Inter-Miami. Uh, the written piece came out on Monday. We're recording this on Tuesday, February 21st. Uh, so, yeah, we thought it would be great to just allow you all to hear it, hear hear Phil Neville's voice, hear his thoughts uh, about promotion and relegation, uh, his thoughts on the fact that the playoff structure, the new format, wasn't official at the time of the recorded interview. It is now official. Pablo Mauer and Jeff Ruder from The Athletic both broke the story earlier this morning that indeed we will see a best of three first round matchups. We'll have a play-in game for the ninth, for, for two ninth place teams in each conference. There will be single elimination in the semifinal conference, uh, in the semifinal, the conference final and the conference final, the MLS cup direct to penalties of any of those games end in a tie. And yes, Pablo, we are here to talk about Phil Neville first. First of all, how are you? Welcome back to Copa. I'm good. I'm happy to be back in D.C. Um, Florida's wonderful, but I think like six days at the uh, Westin and, I mean, calling it Fort Lauderdale would be generous. Uh, yeah. It was Lots an of office U15 park. soccer teams and volleyball teams. Yeah. Yeah. It That's was, uh, it was interesting. With. I'm happy to be back. Um, yeah. Uh, it's been an interesting few days. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, following our reporting for over the weekend, uh, which included the Q&A uh, with, with, uh, with Phil Neville, Immediately after the Q&A, which when he gave his thoughts is, I thought, just very candid thoughts about the fact that MLS teams had no idea what the playoff structure was. He called the decision by MLS to not inform the clubs uh, of those decisions with just seven days to go before the, fir- before the first game. He referred to that as being not elite. Uh, that Those are the things that force or that prevent MLS from being compared to the top leagues in the world. Uh, he was very candid about who's controlling, who's making these decisions here. Is it Major League Soccer? Is it Apple? 
and so following that that Q&A, we released a headline off of his comments. And to be frank, Inter-Miami were, were not very happy with, with that report. Uh, and the resulting decision by Inter-Miami, the fact that... Um, we were just we were barred from their media day. They banned us from their media day, which was today, Tuesday, the twenty first. Pablo and I had traveled to to Florida to cover the team to be part of that media day after our one on one interviews. I was informed personally by a club official that I would not be permitted uh, as part of the, those media day activities because it was not an MLS sanctioned event. So if I wanted to show up at training tomorrow. I could do that because that is sanctioned by the league. So, yes, we put out a statement. Um, I mean, just it's just us. We're disappointed by that. Like, we came out here to cover this team. We want to cover more MLS teams. Uh, that's the whole point of us traveling to a location to do that. So, barring us from doing our jobs and limiting the league's coverage, I think, was a, a disappointing move, and it was unfortunate. But it is a reality, Pablo. It is what happened. Yeah, I mean... I don't think we need to get like too granular with this, but I would just sort of go in to maybe a little more detail about what happened. I mean, I think the club uh, seemed to take issue with the timing of us releasing uh, sort of a segment of that Q&A on Saturday during one of their games. Obviously, maybe not the best timing for the club, but on the other hand, it's a highly newsworthy quote that obviously um, is no longer newsworthy once the league officially announces its playoff format, which they did today. Um, I think there was a lot of heightened sensitivity um, around uh, Phil's comments about promotion and relegation and um, and the playoff comments as well. Obviously, the league and Apple, this is a groundbreaking partnership from them. Uh, this is just me speculating at this point. I can imagine maybe there were people at the league who had concerns about Phil saying that. Um, and, you know, when it comes to pro-rel, look, man, I don't think anybody out there thinks that that's about to happen in MLS, but... Um, you know, if you're, head the, if you're the head coach of a team and you, um, you say or insinuate that, um, that it would be a good idea, again, I don't know if this is what, it, you know, that specifically this is what happened, but there's certainly, there are plenty of owners in MLS who would uh, seem to think, you know, why, why is he even talking about this, right? Sure. When in reality, sure. I mean, this is just, I think, Felipe, now just like my personal point of view, the, the thing that almost makes this most ridiculous is that um, it's a great interview, and that there's, you know, I just literally really looking at my, uh, literally looking at my Twitter mentions and Kyle McCarthy, um, buddy of mine, obviously who covers soccer in New England. Um, his takeaway from that was, quote, this is a, this is a man who sounds like he cares about MLS, right? And that was my takeaway too, is he's invested, he's was engaging, um, had a lot to say about uh, not just pro round the playoffs, about inner, about Joseph Martinez, about the EPL, about x y and z thing i mean honestly man i think the two of us left and we were impressed by phil for sure we were impressed by yeah. phil neville he he was a great interview he was excellent i agree i i, I walked away that's a great point like he truly cares like and let's not forget inter miami david beckham phil neville they've taken a lot of heat because of that relationship between phil neville and david beckham like is he even you know qualified for the job should he be the coach of, of a team when his best friend's the owner and we were very clear, like, he has done very well amidst all the turmoil of the team because that's literally been in Miami since they launched, just turmoil. And this guy has continued to coach. He's continued to care. The players speak highly of him. Uh, and to your point, I thought that interview was very refreshing because it's somebody 
that is that is fully invested, that has a lot of pressure on him anyway to be at this club and to be successful in this year four of their existence. Uh, and, and yeah, you know, it was it was it was a great it was a great opportunity and one that I think Phil Neville was anxious to have to really be able to speak openly about how he views the league and the things that he really likes about the league. He called the league brave. Uh, he said it was one of the hardest leagues to play in, one of the hardest leagues to coach in. And it's not because it's it's at the, the equal of the Premier League or it's Serie A level football. No, it's just that it has all these idiosyncrasies, all these unique sort of traits and the changes that force you to yeah, be on your toes like, all the time. Like we, we talked to him extensively. I was impressed with his what seems like a relatively deep knowledge of kind of the tactical evolution of the league, the way other teams play, their their key players, that sort of stuff. And I, I get it. He's not almost head coach. He should be familiar with those things. But we've all talked to coaches across the league, um, and they've felt less energetic, less invested, less attentive, right? So I would just encourage you, the listener, to give, uh, give the interview a listen. Uh, judge for yourself. I don't even think that Phil Neville says anything controversial in this interview. I, I mean, that's, that's again, what makes me laugh the hardest is it's just a dude kind of staying the obvious when it comes to yep. the things that, that raise sensitivities. Um, but I don't know. I, I enjoy, I still enjoyed the interview, even despite the, the ensuing backlash. And um, in regards to us being band, man, it's just disappointing Felipe because the athletic really probably more than any other outlet at this point is investing time and money and resources to send reporters. I mean, you know, nobody batted an eyelash at sending us to South Florida for eight, nine days to do stories on four or five teams. Um, and it, it can be frustrating, obviously, when teams don't necessarily want to be covered. <laughs> you know, yeah, so that, that's just my take. That doesn't help. I agree. That doesn't help anybody when you limit uh, access. And, you know, there are rules around MLS that you know, prohibit teams from limiting access. Uh, they found a loophole today in Miami, and that's what they did. But it, 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 I don't think it, it, it doesn't. Sh- it, it shines a light, the wrong light on MLS. I think you're looking at a team that, uh, like every other team in MLS, needs more coverage. And we were happy to be down there. I think I came away from South Florida talking to different coaches, Pat Noonan, Jim Curtin, Phil Neville, and thinking, "All right, let's go." Like these guys are. They're ready for the season, and they're ready for the changes that are being thrown at them last minute, too. It was really, it was great to see these professionals discussing it openly because I felt like they trusted us as an outlet. And we will continue to report the way we report. We will continue to cover the lead, the teams, the players uh, in the best way that we, that we possibly can. And so, yeah, with that being said, let's leave it at that. This is our interview with Phil Neville. This is our Q&A. Enjoy. So yeah, I think there's a, several topics we want to cover. Um, okay. Big picture stuff, um, culture, leadership, tactics, MLS. Okay. So let's just start with a basic question. What have you seen so far in preseason? Like what is, what do you like from this preseason that may be different from previous years and, and what's the outlook for this team year four? Yeah, well, I think, I think the thing that I've liked is that you look at the last two preseasons, uh, been really traumatic the last two pre-seasons uh, I say traumatic the first one because I, ca- I came in yeah. and, and everything was new the second pre-season was turnaround of 19 players uh, we totally ripped up the roster and rebuilt so that, so that was a that was a, a pre-season where it felt new again 
this this season just feels right, if you know what I mean, because there's consistency, there's continuity. Uh, that there is there is people at this football club that's been here now for for maybe 12, 12 to eighteen months that know how I work, I know how they work. Players players are going into their second seasons. The the, the, the nucleus of the spine is going into their second season with me. So so on the first day of pre season, yes, we wanted to drop three to four new players into the into the roster. But when we had our initial meeting on day one, it felt like my boys were coming back from this pre- previous season. So I'd say that this this pre-season feels right in terms of how you would want to go into a pre-season. Stability, continuity, consistency in, in, in messages, behaviours and people that you work with. Yes, I think in any season, what I've learned over my, 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 my career is, is that freshening up in key positions, both as a staff and as players, is vital. Keeps people on the tolls, keeps the challenge high, keeps the competition high and a new voice and a new method here and there is really important so it just feels right uh, I think what I've seen on the pitch uh, I've seen I'm actually this week has been probably I've been really frustrated this week a little bit is because I I feel as if we're close but we're, we're not where we want to be uh, I still think there's some more gelling I still think we, we need to get players at different levels of fitness up to where they need to be uh, and uh, I think the demands now are, as we're getting close to the season, the demands, the expectation, the intensity has, has, has risen, and I think the players are under no illusions about about what I expect. What do you, what do you think the club is at, you know, in your eyes, from sort of a culture building perspective? Obviously, it's yeah. still a relatively new proje- uh, project, you know, and there are things to iron out, relationships with players, people, that sort of stuff. What do you make of the culture here? Well, I think we. I think the biggest thing about last year, forget results on the pitch, was the culture. We 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 built a culture in here that now needs to stay. The foundations of what happens down there and what happens up here is is now fundamentally what this club should be like. You know, when I got the job, the Mass Brothers and David. David talked about the Manchester United culture. The Mass Brothers talked about the Miami Heat culture of hard work and intensity and, and ruthlessness and relentlessness, which is similar to what the Man United philosophy was all about. So there was, there was great synergies there. And in the first season I was here, we didn't have any of that. We didn't have any of that. There was, a, there was fractions, there was individuals, really good people. I'm saying this, it wasn't bad atmosphere. It was just that, that you know the, the the recipe for the cake wasn't right there the ingredients weren't right there and last year what 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 we focused on when we recruited because recruitment is the biggest thing was character personality and the person and I, I felt we got that absolutely spot on and, and what we tried to do this pre-season is build on top of that with quality you know we, we, we've got the character we've got the person we've got the ingredients We've recruited along those lines again, but we've what I've asked for and what Chris has tried to to deliver is quality. Now, can we get more quality in there to take us above six? You know, into the playoff game. The biggest learning from last year was I felt throughout the season we we were competing really well with everyone. The playoffs had a different feel. The playoff had a different feel. It, it was. It was, you know, like saying you sort the men out from the boys, and, and it felt like the, the playoff, the, the atmosphere, the tension in the game felt like a real big game where you need big players, you need players to be able to handle that. So at the, after that game, I said, look, guys, we we now know what it feels like to get to the playoffs, but more importantly, you now know what it like, you now know the feeling of what it takes to perform in a playoff. 
that's that's what we try to uh, recruit the players that can play in the playoffs and can be the difference in the playoffs. I mean, imagine Joseph fits in, yeah. fits that mold. Obviously, yeah. he's an all-time great striker in the league. Yeah. How do you see him fitting out of the group so far? Has well, been in preseason. I've got to say, he was my number one target, my personal number one target, yeah. uh, and I say that because I knew he was losing Gonzalo. And I went to see the owners on, in November, December, uh, just before Christmas. It probably was, yeah, in, in the World Cup period, and, and we were talking about the roster, and, and you know, they, they love to get involved in everything. And, and and I said, what about Joseph Martinez? Because I, I knew everything wasn't right at Atlanta, and you know, when you play against, uh, or, or you see people on television, and you and you read about people, you think, oh, they're good players. But when you see them at pitch level, you just get a different feel from what you probably guys. Sure. see up there you know it's the speed the intensity the movements when you, you know off the ball and he scored against us two or three times yeah. and sometimes remember, out of nothing pardon? sometimes out of nothing yeah and, and we played we played in uh, Atlanta two seasons ago and uh, we were on a road trip we were going Atlanta Portland I think it was yeah. and I remember after the game I think he'd scored the second goal and we'd played really well in the game he scored the second goal the, the ball broke he spun in behind Kevin Leardham when he scored and after the game uh, as you walk into the tunnel at the uh, Mercedes Arena, is it called? Yeah, Mercedes Benz. Yeah, Mercedes Benz Arena. I was walking out, and and Joseph Martinez was there. He was talking to Leandro Perez, obviously, with yeah. teammates. And he came over to me and he, he said, "Hi, sir. How are you doing?" And he called me sir, and his face lit up, and and we spoke, <laughs> and we obviously had a little bit of, of of joking about the goal and stuff. But from that moment on, it had a big impact on me in terms of respectful quality. Uh, I, I just thought he was a class act, and then obviously when we, we started to talk to him, he he, he he was he was my personal number one target because I thought he's highly motivated. He wants to break the MLS goal scoring record, so so we're getting a player that's incredibly highly motivated. That's been questioned. That's been that's been sort of like people think is is he still the same player? Can he still play the same goals? Is he fit enough to play? You know, so we're getting a player on a bounce, and uh, we've invested heavily in that part of the pitch. What about the fact that, and this is sort of a larger question, he is also a really big personality in the league. Yeah. Uh, highly competitive. I've covered it for five years. I've spoken yeah. to his teammates. I've seen him in training, seen him in games. And so the big name, like the player management of big names, like you're, you had Gonzalo, you, you've told us the stories of going through that. What is your philosophy in terms of managing those types of players? And in general, just man management. Yeah, well, I, I think they're human beings, you know, you, you, Big personality, uh, uh, big egos. Uh, what else? Uh, best players in the world. They want this. They want that. You know. <laughs> and when, when, when people, people within the football club were saying about Joseph, I said, I want Joseph. Oh, he's bad in the locker room. He doesn't train very hard. He'll challenge every decision you make. Uh, and but, but was one thing that kept sticking in my mind. He's a winner. And, and every time I spoke to someone outside of this football club, and I, you know, I run people that, that I knew, it, and they kept saying. If things aren't bad, he'll challenge it. If you don't win, if he, if he doesn't win a five side, he'd be angry. And I kept saying, <laughs> is that bad or is that good? Yeah. You know, like I, I want 20, 22 more of them players. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then, and then you just go back to, he's a human being, and they have the same parts as everybody else. <laughs> and <laughs> and basically, you've got to treat them, challenge them, uh, give them love, uh, tell them when they're not doing well, and show them respect. You know, my first my, my first job in uh, coaching was at Manchester United and, and, and I never forget the moment probably the biggest the biggest learning curve I had as a coach was that, that you go in you go into a job and you think and then and then all of a sudden 
David Moyes said, right, you're going you're to take a little bit of the passenger to start the warm-up. And literally, as the, as the guys were going on a jog, they were coming round, and at the front, there was Giggs, Vidic, Evra, Rooney, Van Persie, all coming towards me. And I was like, you, you know, I was like, <laughs> it, 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 it's shit or bust. It's like, because if you don't deliver, they'll eat you alive. If you deliver, they'll give them respect. And, and, and what I decided there was is that, that, just to go for it, is that to treat them normal, to challenge them, to test them, uh, to to make sure that you keep trying to improve them. And that's all they want. Joseph is no different than Gonzalo. Gonzalo's no different than Chris McVeigh. Is this that whether they are, whether they're big name there or, or the supplementary roster, for me, for me, fundamentally, yes, yes, you let them get away with one or two things because they've earned the right for that. But but there's times when you there's times when you've just got to treat them as human beings. And I think with Joseph, from the very first time we spoke to him, I think we had we had a really good connection. Why? Because I think I spoke to him on a level that made him feel as if. You know he's going to respect me, but he's going to work me hard. He's going to challenge me, and and we spoke the same language. You know. What do you what do you make of uh, the sort of tactical evolution of the league? Uh, I mean, I've, I've covered MLS for 12, 13 years, and it seems like for years there was this migration away from maybe the traditional American style kick and run. You know, that mentality to something more possession based, and now it seems like different teams in the league obviously play different ways. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's even a regression back towards. That more physical style. What do you see in MLS? Is it, is it challenging to coach here? Well, I'd say, the I'd say, styles of yeah, I say there's great diversity within the league in terms of uh, coaches, nationalities, players, which means that there are different styles in in, in, in every club. Uh, I think it's one of the hardest leagues in the world to play and to coach in and to win. I've got to say that because of the wild, because of the diversity of, of, of the whole league. Uh, I, it was funny because I was talking to. Uh, Jason and, and Javier Morales and we were talking about teams that play three at the back system and, and Javier was a, a MLS All-Star number 10 sure. Jason was an MLS All-Star and a coach and you say about a system that we want to play at this moment in time what was it like when you played in that system I said well you know what when we was playing we didn't play against three at the back everyone yeah. everyone played 4-4-2 four, four, and, and you see well that's, that's an evolution of the league is that now you know, there's there's probably teams that play three at the back and four at the back at the same time. You know, we're playing Austin today, who who with possession they have three, without possession they play four. So so straight away you're thinking, well, the league's getting better tactically, technically and tactically the league's getting better. The the type of player that can adapt to those types of situations within a game means that we're getting a now we're a tactically better manager. Why is that? Because well, I, I've been at home today. I've, I've watched four games already on, on, on Peacock or USA Today. True. You know, that the visibility of soccer is, is, is far greater. I went for a run this morning. I went past a, a park pitch and there's, there's football and soccer played everywhere. So, so with, and this happened in England. This happened in England when, when more channels and more TV and there was more exposure players became tacticians and managers themselves because why because they are learning about soccer and football along the way so I'd say that the diversity is not just the nationality we have in the league but the diversity for me is the different styles and systems within the league now it's it's we've got Montreal first game that play a certain style we've then got Philadelphia the week after that play that have a real fundamental yeah. style they, they, they've got a real identity yeah. the week after that we play NYC who, who have a clear identity but all three are different yeah. one plays a three uh, one plays a diamond and one plays four two three one you know what I mean so you're thinking about and and that is probably what you see in European football where you've got to have tactically adaptable players 
and 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 that's the biggest thing for for us as coaches now is is the teaching, the learning of the players to become just as exact, uh, adaptable. What do you what do you make of? It's interesting you mentioning obviously watching games on Peacock. This is another thing we we're, were sort of talking about this last night. You know, if you speak to um, voices of the UK that have coached in the league or played in the league, you get the impression you know, sort of hear the same things. You know, MLS is evolving, and you know it's a it's a league that's commanding more respect. Really, though, if you listen to English voices in the media or in punditry or commentary, there still feels like there's like a little derision sometimes, or like like the league is still on a much different tier, which. By all accounts, it is obviously it's mm. not the EPL, but it's. Do you know what? Do you know what I see the biggest differences is is obviously because I watch the English yeah. EPL games, is the intensity of the atmospheres within the yeah. ground. Yeah, for sure. Is yeah. I think that's the biggest difference. And if, yeah. you, if you're talking to someone like a some someone that's been in this environment and this environment, is is that that the intensity on the pitch is pretty similar. Tacti- you know, we talked about tactical, technical. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we're growing really fast. But we need to get this type of atmosphere. I, I, you know, I love watching Portland. When you're to Portland and yeah, that, you know, that, that type of atmosphere, the playoff final. You think about the playoff final and the playoff uh, game that we had against NYC. There's a smell in the air that, that that's quite normal when you're in Europe. When I, when, when I walked out in this uh, Soldier Field once, it? yeah, Soldier Field, which baseball stadium did we play out? Soldier Field. Oh, yeah, you said No, City Field once. City, City, City Field. Yeah. Is that. There's just a smell. The stadium wasn't full, but there's a smell. <laughs> yeah. There's a smell. There's a feeling. There's like it's a oh, full time yeah, chill you, in the air. Like, yeah, there's like you, you. You get these little butterflies, and you yeah. think, oh, we're in a game now. You know, and 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 I think that's the only thing now that the MLS needs to get the intensity. The intensity from the supporters of, of. It's almost like tribalism. It's almost yeah. like a passion. It's almost like a religion where you turn up to the game, and this game is life or death, whether you win or lose. I think I think we have large sections of our supporters that it is their life, but we need more of our supporters to have that kind of to, to create the atmospheres that, that, that you do create during the season, maybe on one-off occasions, but not every single week in every ground. More scrutiny too. I mean, from the fans as well, like that, that they're invested in every yes. draw, every win, every point. Absolutely, it's not just a show and entertainment yeah. and all that, but. That's a cultural thing as well. I yeah, suppose. It's it a, is. It's, a, it's, it a, it's, it's basketball. Is. I've been to yeah. Mahit, the Dolphins. Yeah. It's it's a cultural Similar. thing as well. Sure. And and you know the the, the you know in, in anyway carry on. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you, you mentioned David, and he's been really open. When anytime we get him in a press conference, he's been very open about his involvement in in the club and the building of the club, especially in the player recruitment. Um, how hands-on is he and how hands-on is too hands-on for as a manager and you know him really well so like yeah is that that isn't an issue but it's how do you guys manage that when you have david involved? well i think over the two year the two year cycle well this is my third year now the two year cycle and two year transfer windows we've had in, in the first in the first window we, we, we were we, me him and chris were working hand in hand because we were new we were working together he wanted to be involved and then then in the second transfer window in the second year, uh, there was a little bit more distance. Why? Because he trusted us. Right. And then in this window, that it now becomes a, a case of we need three, four different positions. These these are the our priorities. Uh, and David says, "Okay, good. Just let me know if you need anything. Let me know if you need any advice." And and so 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 there is there's still that gap there now. Where is he invested? Yes, but does he trust us? He trusts us probably more now than he did in year t- in in the first year. Uh, I always think I always think with owners that, that you know you hear some managers saying oh owners interfere on like what what does interfere look like? I, I always think that as a case of they're passionate. They own a football club. They spent their money on 
the stadium, this training ground, the new stadium on players. And I think they earn the right to have a say, to be involved. And, and my philosophy and Chris's philosophy is always, you have to make them part of the process. You can't, you can't just think that as a manager and a sporting director, we're just gonna, we're just gonna have this pot of money and we're just gonna go. No, you have to get them invested because when they come on a Saturday, they want to see a certain thing, they want to see a certain style, they want to, they want to be invested with the players. That's why we invite them for barbecues. We went to their house uh, ten days ago. All the team, all the players, we went because we're all in it together. They, they speak a lot. The, the Mass Brothers about a family, about a family and a culture, and 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 really that that is their strength because because of their. Our strength is the football side. Our strength is our knowledge about football. So, so they want to see it all, and they want to be invested in it all. And this is their this is their baby. And you know, I I have no problems with that. You know, in my first year, you look at the, the sweets next to the bench. David stands up there, and and, and there's many times I, I just turn around, go back to my seat, and I see him there, and we speak, and, and I'm like. Why would I not speak to a guy that's probably been my best friend, but also been one of the best players in the world at a certain time that knows football? You know, and, and I'm saying he's not telling me tactics. It's just probably a conversation that two people about football would have. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm fortunate. I am an owner of a football club, <laughs> and 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 it's funny when when I when you know the, there is certain behaviours you want from an owner. You know, and there's times when I've been an owner in the past when I've not been involved in Miami because obviously I don't get involved in Salford now. Is that probably I have overstepped the line? Probably I've gone to training and and shouted on, but it's my club. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So yeah. uh, no, we're good. What do you? Um, MLS continues to evolve is the right word, but the recipe changes every single year as far as competitively rules that sort of stuff. This year, there's a lot of chatter about the playoff format being overhauled. Seems like they're going to do best of threes or something like that. There's the Apple TV deal, so they want more games, more yeah. inventory. Um, you know, as a coach, what's your perspective on that? And I guess the, the other obvious question is more games, more inventory. Would you like to see them alter the salary cap or yeah. roster regulations <laughs> to give you more flexibility? Uh-huh. We've asked several coaches. This yeah. yeah, well, I, I think... First and foremost, I think the Apple deal will transform the whole league. I think that's revolutionary. I really sure. do. I think the product, the quality of the product, will that the viewers are seeing, the content will be. I think will be mega. So I think I think that is groundbreaking, uh, and I think it shows the growth. Uh, next question was the playoffs. Now, the one thing I would say, and this is not a criticism, but, but we're f- six days, seven days out from the first game of the season, and we don't know the playoff format. I think that's poor. I think when you're talking about professionalism and elite I think when you're seven days out from the start of the season and, and we had we've had talks this season and, and, the, and one of the players asked one of the MLS guys the other day what's the playoff system they didn't know and I'm like that, that's not elite you know if, if, if you're talking about sort of like uh, differences we talked about the intensity of the fans sure. that, that's a big difference because that, that's like what is happening? Are they, are they making it up? Are they not sure? Are they just going to wing it along the way? So for me, that's like, if we want to be the best and we want to be the t- compared to the top leagues, this should have been decided two months ago. For sure. Two months ago. So so that that irks me a little bit, is that we're going into a season, and, and bearing in mind, if you think about co- basic contracts, are probably based on playoff goals. 
home playoff, yeah. away playoff. Yeah. Now we might have to, might, we might have three in a group. Sponsorships, so, sponsorships. Tickets, yeah, yeah. Your, your yeah. season tickets. Your, your how many games you have in a season. We we've planned the whole season. Yeah. But we actually don't know when the season ends, and we don't know when how many games we've got after the regular yeah. season. So for me, that's five, seven days out from the start of the season. That is like for me, that's cross. That's like no, we need to be better at that. It's it's interesting as a reporter, you get a different perspective on it because Sam and I have been, our colleague Sam and I have been reporting on it all, all season, and they've. We've reported, we reported at some point they were going to do a, like a, a group stage format. You can sort of see them like trying different things and figuring it out. Yeah. So I think it really probably is closer to the, what you were saying about like have they figured it out yet? I think they're they still sort of like yeah. And, and and my question is who's figuring it out? Yeah. Is, is yeah. it Apple or is it who, who's yeah. who's wagging the dog here? Yeah, you know, know. who's wagging the know. dog? So yeah. so and and then you talk about the roster. I I, I think. I think it's one of the strengths of the league a little bit in terms of you know you, you can you can every team's got this this equality, uh, but eventually it's going to have to be broken. Eventually the ceiling's got to rise. Eventually we, we we we've got to have you know for us to be really be able to compete. You look at Seattle's just gone to the club world championship. For, for us in this league to go to that uh, world club championships and compete and win. We're going to have to raise it. We're going to have to keep challenging the, 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 you know, the authorities to say, look, we need, we need more investment in the teams. We need, we need, we need more spots. We need, you know, so we can bring more players in. Uh, but, but, but I actually really like the format of the cap system. I think it keeps, I think it keeps everybody pretty equal. I think what it does is, is it, is it keeps the bottom team from last year means that you know Toronto could easily win the league this year. You sure. can see it. The, the, the flip could be really big. Uh, and the next thing I suppose is, is promotion relegation. You know, is is would that help with the intensity of the league? Would that help with the competition of the league? I mean, where, where do you stand on that? Do you think that's something that would ever be feasible in MLS? Maybe an MLS one, in MLS American two sports, thing. In American sports, because that is that is that is just like to fans, by and large, it seems like just a non-starter. You know what I mean? Yeah, but would, I, well, there are many who would love it. But yeah. I, I think I'm an advocate that that maybe it's another step that the league could take to. To, to mean that you know like right to the last game of the season yeah. we've got a real competitive course, league is yeah. that the, the bottom two go down I, I see it in, in, in my country in England yeah. is that it's, it's life or death at the bottom whether you're in the you know whichever conferences you go into so you know, say about that moving forward moving forward you're going to have to make brave decisions I think this league has always made brave decisions and this is not a criticism this is like how can we keep moving the league forward I think some kind of reward or, or promotion or relegation is 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 not a daft idea to explore. I'm sure they are doing, but I, I'm all for it because I think it would help. It would increase the competitiveness in the league. I wanted, I wanted to ask you. Uh, you know, my, the, I think the perception of not just Inter Miami but the Heat, other teams in the area is, you know, it seems like this club wants to be kind of a glamour club. Yeah. Um, uh, do you think? Here's here's a question. Do you think this club? You know, you look at you mentioned the Union. Yeah. They put together a historically great season last year. Yeah. And. With with basically, you know, names that aren't recognizable to anybody globally. Low spending as well. Exactly. Yeah, one of the bottom tier teams spending yeah. wise. Um, could this team still captivate this market with a roster like that, or is it always going to be a thing where the team wants to have big names? It's, it's Miami. Yeah. You yeah. know, what I, I think I think you're you're talking about. Uh, Talking about different areas working at St. Louis. I know the sporting director at St. Louis, Lou Fanfansteel, and mm -hmm. you're talking about an uh, an area, an area where the club is at. The team has got to represent that area, sure. and and I think in Miami, <laughs> uh, I, I don't think they would accept or want 
just average this yeah. club shouldn't accept just average we should we should be aiming for bigger than that and you know I learned an incredible lesson is that I go and watch the heat all the time because I'm obsessed with the coaching sure. uh, our club surgeon is, is the is the surgeon at the heat and uh, we were out I keep going there and it was just good it was good and then LA Lakers came to town and LeBron came on court and and, and it, it, it was like yeah, the, the, and the whole stadium was full, and there was there was different. I went. This town wants to be excited. This time, town, town wants to be turned on. You yeah. know what I mean? Barcelona came here, sold out within within a day. Yeah. So, so that tells you that this area it doesn't want mediocrity. It doesn't want average. It, it's it's, and that's no disrespect to any other area. Is is that that Miami? We have to do things different. Sure. You know, our kit, our kit is different. But that, but if we just had a great kit, I don't think it would be Miami. We have to be different, and, and we have to be brave enough to be different. You yeah. know what I mean? So, so I think that is part of the challenge from within. Is that yeah, you wanna, you wanna create that working class type culture, but this club is is probably far from working class. It's it's got to be have a little bit of glitz and glam. It's got to aim for the moon rather than a star. So, so that that comes with the the, the location that we're in because the people of Miami want to be turned up. They, they want South Beach. They want, they want the, you know. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. So yesterday we were out for dinner and we ran into, we heard an Argentine accent. And we ran into a table of five Argentines, two that live in Miami, three that are visiting from Buenos Aires. All five of them were eating the messy burger. <laughs> In which, which restaurant? Hard, it, hard, so, rock hard Rock Casino, they have this messy, you know, it's chorizo and some. He's staying at Hard Rock? No, but we went and tried the burger because we're serious journalists, right? Uh. <laughs> Just almost as a gag, and then we started looking around, all these, everybody's eating it, and then we see. This table of five Argentines, yeah. one of whom had gone to the World Cup final in Qatar, and we yeah. like, and we just started talking to him, and they're like, "This is the only place he can come and play. There's no other place for him. It's here." 
how does this club manage that? That now serious outlets like the Athletic, the Keep, and France are like Inter Miami pole position. Yeah. What does that do for for the club? And how 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 important is that signing if it happens? Does, does it feel like everything is riding on a, the possibility of a world class player like Messi coming? Well, I, I think I think it goes bigger than into Miami. I think I think it's an MLS. Yeah. I think it's big yeah. for the MLS. I think I think. And is, is this a Beckham and Pelé with the Cosmos like that level of a signing for soccer in the country? Do you I think, think that, I think this would be the biggest probably signing ever yeah. in American sports. Mm. You know, and and from from an outsider probably coming in, I can't think of another uh, star of that magnitude to come from from a, a major footballing country to this yeah. place. And, and 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 I did feel that David did change the world of soccer yeah. in in America. Uh, and this this I think is probably similar. But, but maybe even bigger, you know what I mean? Because you're talking about one of the greatest uh, footballers of all time. And, and when we talked before about Miami, we have to be we have to be in for players like that. Yeah. You know, when, when Cristiano was 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 50-50, we, we have to be linked with those types of players because I think that's what the people demand. You know, when, when they come to the drive pink, they want to be they want the best players here. The owners have said from day one that yeah. we're not just going to do things average. We're going to go for the best, and we get calls off the best players in the world. One that they want to come to the ML, uh, MLS, but two they want to play and live in Miami. Sure, do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and and when you when you are attracting players and scouting players, we've got an advantage probably on 90 percent of the MLS. Yeah, LA is beautiful and you have these glamour places, but Miami is a big pull. That's our biggest selling point. When, when they land at Fort Lauderdale or Inter, Miami International. You, there's places you can take them that will, will that will probably guarantee that them and their family will want to come to Miami, whether they they've got a wife or family or whether they've got kids uh, or single. So so that's our biggest selling point is that we can probably attract anyone in the world because of our location. We should use that to our advantage. And you know I think I think if we if we if we have the opportunity to sign Messi and if he does come to this football club and, and I don't think we can hide away from the fact that, that we are True. probably in the ballpark that yeah. we're probably in the hunt is that we, uh, we've we got to be prepared for that because life will change life will change yeah, yeah. things will be different you know and, and you're saying about like this might not be able to happen uh, you know the, the, the trees might have to be bigger and, and the security might have to be tighter and I would feel like you'd have to play a, a different stadium the, 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 you know you think about the wall that the players yeah. have today over to that stadium might have to be different <laughs> do you know what I mean so the travel might have to be different the, the hotels we stay in have to be different but really that, that, that's what we're probably all aspiring to be like anyway you know what I mean so it's exciting but I think it'd be a massive challenge. I, we, I think we wanted to ask you also about it's your social media. Your approach to social media is interesting. I mean, most coaches in the league, at least, well, I mean, well, they'll say they don't have a Twitter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, they, they most of them do. Um, you are very, very open. Uh, you interact with fans regularly, supporters, whatever. What's the genesis of that? Has it ever caused you any issues? Does the club, does David, people like that, do they have any issues with it? Is, and it really is. I know it might not seem alien to you. Yeah. But in in the world of MLS, I mean, I can't I even name another person no. that's even on Twitter. And, and things are changing. I mean, Luis Enrico was doing Twitch yeah. shows during the World Cup. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we saw your tweet today, wishing your brother happy birthday. There's like, there's comedy there. There's a, there's humor. <laughs> you're always you're very candid. I wrote it down. Like, we, let's talk about his candor. But yeah. social media, especially, it's it's interesting well, how it, you approach it's, it. It's the world we live in. Yeah. It's the world we live in, and. Uh, 
he, he gets notifications every time I get uh, <laughs> sent someone out and, and if something happens he'll always send me something don't tweet about this <laughs> no but I, I think I think I think when when you're talking about uh, the, you know the connection that, that you need to have connection with our supporters and, and to show that our supporters what you are like how you're feeling your personality is really important because you know you only fall in love with something or someone if you know know a little bit more about them like the personality and and I think it, I think it's really important and what I try to be on social media is really consistent it's not just when we win or when we lose I try to be really consistent with the things that that uh, and I enjoy it I think I think it's you know you can say uh, I shouldn't be on it why shouldn't I be on it it's no different than doing the press conference yeah. on a Friday on a Friday at least I can tweet my words yeah. <laughs> and and people can you know people know that I go for a run or a walk or I walk to work at five in the morning you know that's like that's that's interesting uh, you also don't stay away from like I mean not controversy but you were you're open like you were defending Gareth Southgate you know that was that was like a, that's a social media Pit. Yeah, but and, I think that's you, important. Yeah. I have a platform where I can stick up for a friend and a fellow manager. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I stuck up for the uh, another manager, uh, another manager Spanish, in Spanish, Spanish, the Spanish women's coach. Yeah, yeah. is is you know because I think it's important. We're, we're, it's a difficult job we have, and you know you think so. Well, fo- football managers shouldn't be on social media. We'll we'll. we'll it's no different than an electrician being on social media. We have, we have a job to do. You know, social media is, is, is part of our lives. I prefer Instagram than Twitter, I've got to say. Uh, the, the, the comments I get being an MLS manager are far more relaxed than being a Lioness manager or a Valencia For manager sure. because, yeah. because there's that tribalism, which, yeah. which means that probably if I went to another part of the world and, you know, maybe I'd, I'd probably look at it and think, well, maybe it's not the right thing to do. Yeah. But I feel, I feel as if it's... Uh, it's part of who, who I'm, I want to be authentic and you know I, I always think that now you see Luis Enrique I thought for, I loved listening to his live That's tweets great. during the World Cup and and what was wrong with that you know people say oh Spain didn't qualify it was because of that no it was nothing to do with yeah, that yeah. you know what I mean pet pet Instagrams every, every week Pochettino's all over Instagram now with his dog and I'm thinking well that's good because he's one of my he's, he's a mentor he's someone that I look up to and mm-hmm. you know so are you also Fizzer18 on Instagram or no? Or are you Phil Neville? Philip Neville 18, I think, on okay. Instagram, yeah. What's Fizzer? Fizzer is like the... F- the, the Fizzer is, is just... I was, I was playing for England and we had this uh, coach driver. And do you know like Cockney accent? Like a mm-hmm. uh, London accent, yep, you know? Yep. And they, they, they say things in a different way. And my brother got on the bus and uh, he went, Oi, gal! And then I got on the bus <laughs> and, and he went, Oi, Fizz! And then Paul Scholes went fucking fizz. So then, so then, and then it just, it just, I was always fizzer, fizzer. And then I went back to Man United and I, I made a pass. It was a really good pass, and I went great pass, fizzer. And Roy Keane went fizzer. And then all of a sudden, it just catched on and it's caught weird on. how something one bus bus driver said like it's yeah. become fizz this entire nickname. Yeah, exactly. and, and it yeah. stuck with me. So. Uh, the, actually, the guys here don't know me as Fizzer. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you what do you make of the job Wayne's doing in DC? He has a really challenging pro, uh, project. Yeah, you know, different. You know, ownership is willing to invest in a different way than they are here. Less, you know. Um, obviously, uh, you know, he has some. I like some, the I like the recruitment he's done in yeah. the summer. Mm-hmm. I think I think he's he's probably at the stage we were uh, twelve months ago, sure. where he's he's recruited solid 
good characters, solid players, uh, and I think they'll have a better season this year without yeah. a shadow of a doubt. Uh, like I say, they finished bottom, they could easily play, be a playoff team this year. Uh, he knows the league. He knows the league. You yeah, know when sure. he came when he came back, he's, he played in the league, so he knew he know he knows a lot about the league. So and he's serious about being a manager. I think that's the most important thing. You can see, you, you know, you see some managers that finish their career and and they almost bluff their way into a job and then get found out. Yeah. I think Wayne's pretty serious because you see the the the, the pathways that he's taking is not necessarily the easiest pathways. You know, he's, he's Derby, they had no money, they were in administration, stayed there, dug it out, funded some of the players' wages, paid for some of the staff. That's 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 the sort of like, in England we say the apprenticeship of manager. You, you, you've, you've got to do the crappy jobs first. Uh, and he's probably turned down big jobs, but he, I think he wants to he wants to think about the long game. You know, he's, he's 40, is he now? He's not even 40 probably. Uh, 39. 39. Yeah. You know, he's he's wanted to probably be a manager for 20 years, and he knows that it's a long game. And you know, he's he's it's, it's a brilliant club to be a manager and a brilliant city to be to be living. You know? One more Texas question: um, Two strikers, Joseph and Leo. Is that do you, do you like playing with two strikers? We were talking to Jim Curtin. He's like, there aren't a lot of teams in MLS that no. play with two strikers. Yeah. Um, how is that going in in preseason? And, and where is Joseph? Honestly, is he ready to be the, the, the focal point of this attack? Well, the we we got to a point last season with eight games to go where where we needed to probably win six out of eight or five out of eight or five out of eight plus a draw, and uh, we had to go for it. And so we, we did a training session and we did a scenario-based training session where one team was one nil down, one team was one nil up, and one team had to defend and one team had to attack. And we went to we went to two strikers and just went gun go, and we came off. We said we really liked that. Because it freed up Gonzalo and, and Gonzalo and Leo up front looked all Poswello behind and all of a sudden it just looked like we could and, and so we went with it. We went with it. We were we were one one against Columbus and we went we then made the change with about eight, nine minutes to go plus stoppage time, we scored the goal. Uh we then we then came back, we played uh oh we then went Columbus, we then went DC, we then went uh Toronto, we then went Orlando. Uh, and before the DC game, I called a meeting with the senior players. Uh, five, there's five captains in there, or four captains plus plus uh, another senior player. And and I, my mind was set on playing three at the back against DC. But I kept thinking about the two strikers, two strikers. So so I put up two systems on a board. And and what I'd learned with the, uh, the 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 women's team, the the lionesses, is that you've got to make them part of the process. You've got to make them part of the process. So I was selling. This three, I was selling this three at the back. I was selling this three at the back, and they just kept looking at this four. They just kept looking at this four, four, two. You know, and and after about three or four minutes, I looked at Jason, and I said, "You fuckers aren't even looking at this, are you?" They went, "No." I went, "This one." They went, "Yeah." I went right out the room. We went the next day, and we just went for it because they knew this was like attack, attack, attack. This one was attack, but all they could see was the two strikers. So, so, so I thought, right, and. It's going to sound bad, but if you think about the makeup of a roster in the MLS, probably probably the the biggest investments are in the top half of the field. The weakest investments are in the bottom half of the field. So, so we thought, well, okay, let, let's if we play two strikers, we're playing two more strikers against probably their weakest or low level of player. So, 
It troubles the back line, two strikers. It really yeah, because really teams are used to playing against one or one and a one, and, and, and when you play against two strikers, centre-backs nowadays don't know how to cope with it because they've never had to do it. We, we me and Jim probably grew up against 4-4-2 four, four, teams, two strikers, took a full-back in, then you went to 4-3-3, three, three, then you have all these wonderful systems that everyone's playing. But centre-back now probably doesn't need to tackle, doesn't need to head a ball because everything, everything's yeah. ticky-tacky in front. Yeah. Now when you, you play against Philadelphia, you know, you, you've got to wear an helmet because they're, they're, they're running. They're, you know, Carranza and Ure and uh, whoever's playing up front for them, you're under pressure for 90 minutes of the game, whether you've got the ball or not, you, you're under pressure. We have a question here on Everton and Man U. Two different, totally different situations. Everton trying to avoid perhaps a collapse. Um, proud club, you're very aware of it. Man U up for sale different bidders Qataris are in um, what do you make of those contrasts of the two clubs yeah. that you know so well in England well I, I feel as if I feel as if Man United have are getting themselves on track on the pitch yeah. I feel as if there, you, you can see there's, a, there's an identi- identity forming and, and he's had to make some big decisions and he's made them very well so I think I think the identity on the pitch has, has took a lot of the pressure away from the, the selling of the club off the pitch. So now, but but now what you see in probably Manchester United is is that the ground needs redeveloping, the training ground needs redeveloping, the infrastructure of the club needs major investment. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's that's and the team needs investment. So, so 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 it's a big piece of work there for someone at Everton, and you know that that's one of my favourite clubs, Everton. Is if, it, that, if I could follow up on that, Robert, what do you make of? What do you make of the potential owners being, say, for Qatar, you know, abroad? Obviously, it's very modern football, but it's also Manchester United. You know, I mean, it's yeah. such a traditionally English global brand. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and I and I think I think when you have, it's no different when the Glaciers took over. Fundamentally, you need to keep you, you have to keep what's great about Manchester United. Sure. Manchester United's history is the most important thing to that football club. If you if you ignore that history, you'll not have. You'll not have success, as is, has been proven. Has been proven in the yeah, last yeah. 10, 15 years. Yeah. Is that if you go away from the history of what makes that club tick, young players, young development players, style of football, type of player, profile of player, you know, it's never been a club that's really gone for the Galactico. Never gone for the Galactico. It's never the football has always been the main, more important thing. Now, what I think Manchester United have, they have, they have football at the forefront of everybody's mind. Yeah. For, Football. If it, if, it, if it works on the pitch, we'll sell more tickets. Not sell more tickets to them work on the pitch because because the the balance was all wrong. You know what I mean. So we're at Everton. I think I think what Everton need to do, and I think they've done it now with Sean Dyche. You know, you talk about Miami and Philadelphia. Everton is probably Philadelphia. It's a working class area that that demands certain things of that football club, and you need to have the right manager in charge to bring those things and the right players in charge, the right ownership in charge, the right CEO in charge. And and I I played at that football club, and we had we had a clear identity under David Moyes. That was the Everton identity, and it was the same identity that was there when uh, Howard Kendall was there. Certain style of football. So the, 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 so it's it's a unique club. You know, Leeds is similar. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. yeah and so I think what the I think what clubs what happens in clubs is that when you go away from your identity and culture you end up failing yeah. you end up failing you know you, you're going left and right and Rafa Benitez then to Frank then to this you, you're going away from actually what is it what is this club all about and, and what happens with with foreign investment is is that because they're not from the area they don't understand what's needed mm-hmm. 
culturally sure, and the culture is the most important thing I speak to Jorge and Jose about it and Harlem Selesnik the, the Miami dot is that is that Miami Heat have the same staff working for them for the last 35 years I, I went and sat I went and sat next to Harlem a, a, a game two weeks ago and he's been at that cl- uh, Heat for 35 years every supporter that went past said hello to Harlem every honestly Harlem could walk around the whole stadium without a pass because everybody knew and it was the same for everyone yeah. consistency stability that's what football clubs need and uh, you know Jorge and Jose employ 28,000 people and they know every single person that works for them because they've been working for them for 28 years. What happens is, is that you come in, you see that Chelsea at the moment come in, rip everyone out, rip it all yeah. up. And, and and what happens is you lose at home to Southampton and, and the manager's probably going to be under pressure when it's impossible to win. It's literally impossible to win under those, those circumstances. Yeah. Now, they've given him a five-year contract. They want stability. Now, with stability means you need to give him then time to bed in. So... Going back to your question is is that I think the most important thing is is that whichever area that you're in or whichever buys a football club, you've got to you've got to have the culture of the club, you've got to have the heart of the club, you've got to think about the history of the club, and you've got to pick the manager and the players to fit that team. And I think what's happened at Everton, there's been a lot of big thinking, ambitious thinking, but that doesn't get you success. That you've got to you've got to get the right people on the bus. And I think what what's happening at Man United at the moment is that both clubs have got their the right people in charge that eventually will bring success. <laughs>